Hi everyone, it's Tom here. Hello, this is Christiana. And we are together. We want to take a minute of your time because we have a very exciting announcement. We have finally written a book. We have been wanting to write a book for some time and we have pretty much finished it. What's the title, Christiana? The title is The Future We Choose. And the subtitle is surviving the climate crisis and we've called it that because we believe that we have reached the last moment at which we can choose to create a more positive hopeful constructive future than the one that we will receive by default which is none of those things so it comes out on february 25th yes which is a long time away so we're sorry we're announcing it so far in advance but we put a press release out so we wanted to share it with you we're very excited about it and we will be sharing more details about the book between now and then. Very good. All right, here's the show. Hello, and welcome to Outrage and Optimism. I'm Tom Rafikarnak. I'm still Christiana Figueres. And I've always been Paul Dickinson. And it is incredibly echoey in here, isn't it, when you're listening it to it? It is very echoey, yes. Yeah. Um, Clay has a special anti-echo machine, I'm hoping. Otherwise, sorry, listeners. Do you have an anti-echo machine, Clay? I do. This thing is heavy. <laughs> it's, only, it's actually it's only just mine just that sounds really echoey. Again. You sounds right. Okay. Try again. Okay, yeah, try now. Hello, and welcome to... <laughs> it's very peculiar. So this week, we are coming to you from the Climate Summit in New York. We've been here for about a week. We've been going on strikes. We've been having endless meetings. Christiana's been rushed from place to place. We've been struggling with security to try and get in and out of the United Nations. Whole city blocks have been shut down while Donald Trump's been in town. And really, we just wanted to start this week by having a conversation about the things we are optimistic about coming out of these few days and the things we're outraged by. So which of you would like to start? I want to start. Go with for it. Being outraged. <laughs> Bye. That's, that's a especially outraged voice. Christiana's looking extremely fierce. Both eyebrows deployed. That Donald Trump had the audacity to turn up at the Climate Action Summit unannounced two minutes after Greta delivered the most scathing speech those walls have ever listen to. So I'm outraged. So tell, tell us what happened. So the Secretary General opened the climate summit uh, with, with a very, very powerful uh, call to action to everyone, not barring anything. Then he invited a panel of young people, three young people, two whose, I'm sorry to say, whose name I do not remember. Um, and Greta, the first two spoke, then Greta spoke from the panel and delivered a scathing speech uh, about telling us as the adults that if we do not do the right thing, she and her generation will never forgive us. Yeah. How dare you, wasn't it? How dare you came many times. She delivered the numbers um, and she said something that is really very, um, it really cuts to the chase, right? She said, 
all of the numbers that science is putting out, you know, halving emissions by 2030 and, you know, and then half again by 2040, it only delivers a 50 to 60% chance of actually getting to 1.5. So all of that safe space that we think we're heading for is actually not there. And that gets glossed over, right? And and she's so right because, you know, which one of us would get on a plane if the announcement were, welcome to the flight to... Tinkanika, and you have a 50% chance of reaching your destination. Welcome all aboard. I mean, who would get on board? So she's absolutely right. But then two minutes after she finished and that whole panel disappeared and they were getting ready for Prime Minister Modi to take the podium, then... Donald Trump comes in through the back door, unannounced. I have no... Obviously, (laughs) so angry. Shana's having a moment of real fury. Obviously, Secret Service must have known about this, but the UN security did not because the head of UN security, Kevin O'Hanlon, was having a fit. Uh, And they didn't know, right? You don't do something like that to UN security. Um, Now... Presumably, uh, he sent out the message, whatever, that he came to listen to Modi and to Merkel. And then he left 15 minutes later. He sat down at the U.S. desk and then he left. So he didn't say a word to anyone, et cetera. Fine. I don't think that was his intent. I think his intent was to divert public attention attention to himself as usual. Yeah. So what we actually have to do is hope and believe and perhaps make happen that the reverse happened, that in fact um, a very inspiring leader in the climate movement, Greta Thunberg, she said, unite behind the science. She gave what you said was the most powerful speech you've heard in that great chamber. No, no, I didn't say powerful, scathing. The most this is way beyond powerful. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. We can maybe tap the power of scathing to power our cities. But okay, so she... <laughs> she she gives that most scathing speech. And the fact that um, you think that, that, you know, Trump had decided to kind of upstage or whatever, you know, you could flip it both ways. You could say that, that we can use the jujitsu of, of his mad fame to support her message and show how important her message is that someone would pull a stunt like that. You know, it, it, it can a go either stunt, way. That is such a good word. Yeah. That's what I think. I mean, true or not, I mean, whatever the reason was that he was there, it turns it into an absolute circus, right? And how dare he wander around in and out of the climate summit on not announcing it. It just shows such disdain for the whole process. But that speech was unbelievable from Greta. I mean, it was she was emotional. She was fierce. What else are we feeling outraged or optimistic about? Private sector. I'm delighted. Uh, you know, this is a kind of corporate announcement from my organization and others, but 87... 87- <laughs> Great companies with what, worth 2.3 trillion, uh, with more than 4 million employees, have announced that they have set science-based targets align with 1.5 degrees. We had the privilege to talk to the chief executive of IKEA. That's one of those great companies. I think that when huge companies are coming forward and saying, "Okay, we are absolutely committed to 1.5 degrees," surely that must then raise the ambition of any rational government that wants to attract that kind of industry and that kind of future-based economy to say, "Okay, I'm going to get my NDC in line with one." and a half degrees, right? Isn't that how the world works? I'm now going to drop a pin and you're going to hear total silence from Tom and Christiana. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. I mean, I think that, you know, and, and I think the story um, here is that 
there's been a lot of outrage and people want governments to step up and actually solve this problem and have sufficient ambition to keep us in line with actually solving this problem. And they're not doing it, right? I mean, we've seen some announcements come out from countries and it's great those that are stepping forward, but we're completely sure that we're not going to end this week on a 1.5 trajectory, right? We might be a tiny bit better than where we were. So the corporate sector has to step in and that signal to governments has to be heard loud and clear over the next 15 months if we're going to have a shot. It's leadership. It's this kind of vacuum in leadership. Yes, we've got country leadership. Yes, we've got corporate leadership, but somehow or other, Greta, you know, with amazing message, Unite Behind the Science, that demonstration on the, on the, on the Friday, those strikes around the world, that did catch the eye of the world's yeah. media. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can be optimistic alongside the outrage. One other thing that I feel optimistic about, and I'd like both of your perspectives on, is we were with Amazon this week, Christiana. So we were down in DC, and we have formed a partnership with them to develop this thing called the Climate Pledge. And we spent some time with Jeff Bezos and the team there. Why don't you talk about that announcement? Well, it is a pretty amazing announcement, particularly as it comes at a time in which... Um, Amazon has not exactly been a little angel out there, right. either on uh, employee rights to their uh, or benefits to their health care uh, or um, on environmental integrity or on many other issues. Um, however, what I thought was quite impressive is the fact that the company, un unbeknownst to anyone without announcing, has been working for three years on a pretty stringent methodology to quantify and track and monitor their emissions from all of their products and services, which is a, it's a very complex company that has transportation, it has packaging, it has um, 10 products. 10 billion boxes a 10 year. 10 billion boxes being delivered a year. It has most of the cloud capacity. It owns most of the cloud capacity in the world. I mean, they, they just have so many different sectors in that, in that company. And they have invested I don't know how much money, but certainly three years of time into developing a methodology that covers all of the different sectors that the company actually um, brings together. And so they have announced their carbon footprint uh, and given transparency around that, which is something that uh, their employees have been asking them for. But the most amazing thing is that, you know, Jeff Bezos doesn't do anything the way anybody else does. Uh, he He's always, you know, does things bigger, better, faster. Right. Um, and so what is his big, bigger, better, faster version of this? He took a look and he saw that there are, as Paul has already said, you know, 87 companies that have um, committed themselves to carbon neutrality by 2050, getting themselves on a 1.5 degree pathway. And he said, well, that's wonderful, but we're going to do it better. And so he has announced that uh, Amazon, across all of their products and services, is going to be carbon neutral, not by 2050, but by 2040. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that is phenomenal because the impact of that, first of all, it sends a fantastic market signal uh, in general to the market. Secondly, what we're going to be doing with him is going to the companies that are upstream in his supply chain, everybody that supplies him, to get them to commit to 2040. Um, but also, fundamentally, what I love about that is that it pulls the rug from under everyone who's saying, oh, it's so difficult to decarbonize and it's so complex and we need 30 years and blah, blah, blah. And he's saying like, well, you know what? 
we're going to do it by 2040. And it is such a fantastic message. Mm. And what was your impression? Because we spent a few hours with him and with the team there. And, you know, they're pretty, pretty impressive, actually, as you said, the degree of thought and attention and time has gone into this. What convinced you that he was serious about this in your conversations with him? Well, he, he convinced me before we went to the um, announcement because I wanted to be convinced before I <laughs> appear in public with him. Um, he convinced me because every time that I expressed some kind of a concern about what he was announcing, um, he always listened very carefully and then he either admitted that he hadn't thought or the team hadn't thought about that concern and they will address it or he won up to me. That was the really cool thing. Right. Right. He said, well, actually, we're not just going to do what you're requesting. We're going to do, you know, one better. Um, and, and the fact that he was willing to put all of this out in public in front of Eighty journalists, right? It's not like he just had one or two. No, it was yeah, eighty journalists in the room. Nailed to the mouth now. In in yeah. in in the um, national press building uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, there's no way he can walk back from this. Yeah. And he's he's actually very excited about this. He's very very excited, and I think he has realized that in addition to building this amazing company, basically from scratch, from where where he picked it up, um, this is going to be his legacy, mm. right? It's not just to be the company where you can buy everything from a needle to an elephant. Um, it, his real legacy is going to be to bring the world to deliver on our emission reductions 10 years early. He is totally committed to the 10 years early challenge. Mm. Okay, so I think this is a story of superheroes. And I'm going to go back to when the world was last threatened by a terrible, unimaginable disaster. And the three superheroes that I got taught about at school were called... Uh, Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin, actually, who sat together at Yalta and that they were the allies who used the superpowers of their states, like superheroes, to save us. Well, then a funny thing happened and the world got a little bit complicated and the states stopped being the superheroes and then Earth was threatened again and there were no superheroes to save us. But then, bang, 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 they popped up in a different shape, in a different form. They weren't national leaders anymore. They were leaders of things in some ways bigger and stronger and more interesting than nations. And that's what I love about what Jeff Bezos, what Amazon has done about this announcement. The extraordinary capabilities of that company, of those individuals, of those teams, and how it will inspire so many other business leaders to recognize, hey, I'm not just like the CEO of some big company. I'm a superhero. I'm going to be like Jeff Bezos. I'm going to save the world. And if they get it together and they apply themselves with their extraordinary resources at this moment in history, they will I want to live inside Paul's head, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, that's great. But I also just want to ask you, I mean, for a, as your day job, you run CDP, the largest collection of climate data anywhere from the private sector. What's your professional assessment of what Amazon have done? 
Well, it's brilliant. I will also look forward to welcoming them into the CDP system in due course. Um, but no, I mean, you know. Uh, I just had a little announcement here. <laughs> well, I don't think I can make an announcement about what Amazon's going Amazon. to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think I can definitely make an announcement about what they ought to do. But no, look, honestly, uh, uh, you know, I, I see it's difficult for, for great companies with, with great brands and great reputations to do things um, in a way that, 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 that fits the spirit of their company. Um, I think it was super smart of Amazon to reach out to you, uh, Tom, and Christiana particularly, because you're a great leader of, of nations coming together. And I think um, it, it helped a, a great deal that, that you were there to support this, this announcement. So what I think is when I, when I hear a company, let's call them Amazon, are going to buy hundred thousand electric vehicles right i mean that is just extraordinary that is a beautiful beautiful thing so as yeah as somebody whose day job is 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 swooning over corporate action uh <laughs> buying a hundred thousand electric vehicles just gets me just my eyelashes flutter ridiculously okay okay i just gotta break in here and mention the company that amazon ordered these one hundred thousand electric vehicles from is called rivian they're headquarters is less than 30 minutes from my house in Detroit. This is absolutely going to change what Detroiters think a car is supposed to be. I mean, we're known for innovating the fossil fuel car. They call us the Motor City. So to see a massively successful company like Amazon get up and say, we don't want fossil fuel cars, we want electric cars, means Detroit's gotta make electric cars. And Amazon just ordered 100,000 electric cars from Detroit. So really exciting stuff. They'll actually be hitting uh, a street near you, 2021. How ironic, right? How symbolic for Detroit. Fantastic. Yeah. And the other thing, um, Tom, to go back to your question about why, why do I think that he's sincere about that? Um, because there's money to be made. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, let's just be very, very frank here. Yeah. Um, there's money to be made. So not only has he or Amazon uh, put in an order for 100,000 electric vehicles. They've actually majorly invested in the company that is going to produce those vehicles. Yeah. Why? A, because they already have guaranteed demand of the first 100,000 for Amazon, but also because they can see that's going to be a huge demand. Right. And so they want to position themselves uh, into the market of the decarbonized economy with vehicles, with services, with products. I mean, pretty soon, everything that Amazon produces is going to be zero carbon. Yeah. And that's the market of... We used to say that's the market of the future. That's actually a nearer-term market than we actually ever thought. Yeah. No, it's great. It's great. So just a couple of other things from the week. Modi doubling the commitment of renewable energy to 450 gigawatts. Impressive? Yes, yeah. impressive. Merkel doubling her commitment climate finance to 4 billion. Impressive? Impressive. Christiana needs to go to like a course that I can run on how to sort of sound like a mad person celebrating the achievements of others. <laughs> uh, Emmanuel Macron said that international organisations would pledge for another 500 million in resources to protect tropical forests. Impressive? Impressive. Okay. And... I think one of the most impressive things is the, a UN-backed asset owner alliance that came out today to drive portfolio companies to carbon neutrality by 2050. 
and let's just leave the data aside. Maybe we can bring that forward. But this has really been hailed as one of the boldest actions yet by the largest investors in the world to decarbonize the global economy. Um, these pension funds and insurers are responsible for 2.4 trillion in investments committed to have completely carbon neutral portfolios by 2050. I mean, I think that sends an unbelievable signal. That's an unbelievable signal. And, and first of all, those asset owners are some of the largest in the world. Secondly, they are well distributed across the world. So it's not like it's just Europeans. Right. Um, and, and thirdly, what that means is that there is a knock-on effect, right? Because they own partially own many companies. And what they're going to do as at least partial owners of those companies is tell those companies that those companies have to be carbon neutral, right? right. So so there is a knock-on effect uh, here of these asset owners, like there's an asset uh, knock-on effect of Amazon going upstream, these guys are going downstream. Yeah. And so now we have decarbonization actually flowing in all directions, right? Amazing. We have decarbonization coming top down from leaders of uh, of countries. We have it uh, going upstream from companies. We have it going downstream from asset owners. I mean, finally, we are like swimming in the waters of decarbonization. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. It was about time. And I just want to say one more thing about those asset owners. I mean, I, I love them. Some people call them universal owners because they're capable of thinking in the whole global economy. The late, great Tessa Tennant used to say that the asset owners have like a bird's eye view over the whole economy. They can read a graph. They can read a chart. They've got long-term responsibilities and they're delivering on them. It's beautiful. Yeah, and pulled together by you, by our friend Oliver Barté, Allianz CEO. We should have him on the podcast, actually. Sound about him on. Great. Yeah, yeah, he was he was sitting there, um, just two two chairs away from me, and oh. so excited, really? right? <laughs> so excited to get up on the podium. Yeah, just uh, yeah. Know. you know, Allianz is an insurance company. They know something about climate change. They know a lot about climate change. Well, insurance companies are are risk gurus, right? Nobody knows more about risk than Correct. insurance Domundo. companies. But your your point about heroes is interesting, right? I mean, when did these? I mean, these organ organizations are incredibly powerful and important, but they're highly obscure to most people. And now they're the heroes of the day. I mean, it's quite interesting. And hold on. It? This conversation, I, I remember this conversation with Oliver Beta, by the way. Oh, sorry. Oliver right. Beta, um, just in Davos at the beginning of this year, right. in January. That's when they were starting to pull this together. Are you serious? They pulled yeah. it together in nine so months? So they yeah. pulled this together in nine months with a lot of help from UNFFI. Um, and from from PRI, so fantastic institutions, UN institutions, um, but you know a muscle power to uh, to get their colleagues to see the world through this same risky lens that they're seeing, and yeah. as as Paul says, to really step up to the plate um, and be solution providers, right? Yeah, cool. Anything else you want to talk about? Outraged, optimistic. I just want to um, put a question on the table for us to follow. Okay. I am wondering, in the balance that we think is necessary between outrage and optimism, I am one, and I think, you know, as I see the world right now, I think it is sort of in balance. I wonder if after the speech of today, that balance will hold. Hmm. Do you think the optimism is, is shaking? No, I don't think the optimism is shaking. I think the outrage is growing mm. uh, or will grow. Yeah. Um, and so I just put it out there as a question for us to follow because um, that, you know, Greta's speech today was um, uh, uh, unequivocally an 
angry speech as it should have been. Yeah. Um, but I just think that we should follow what the impact is on that. I think for me, they're always going to be in balance because the more outraged the people are, the more optimistic oh, I become. fantastic. Yeah, the but, more that may, but that may not be true at any individual moment. There may be a lag, right? Lots of outrage. It'll take a while for the optimism to catch up. I'm not entirely sure how precisely you can measure these things, Tom, but I take your point. <laughs> what do you think will happen if that's the case? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't thought about it enough. I just, you know, I found myself wondering that um, as I was listening to her. So just just something to be followed. Hmm. Okay, now, am I right in thinking that Richard Branson's here? <laughs> he is, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Are we holding him Richard up? Branson? <laughs> From, like, the so television. He's famous. He's quite an interesting person to talk to about this because he his whole brand is based on being an optimist, right? He would be right, I mean, if you think everybody we interview falls somewhere on that spectrum, he would be right at one end. So I wonder what he thinks about the growing outrage and what that will do to the narrative and kind of how we respond to it. That's probably what we should talk to him about, do you think? Anything else? Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, let's do it. Richard, thank you so much uh, for running through New York City uh, to to get here to join us. Yes, yes, wonderful, <laughs> and and do some good exercise on a very warm day. Uh, but thank you very much for taking mm-hmm. time to join us on uh, Outrage and Optimism, which is the name of our podcast, and we've named it that because we feel that we need both the outrage about the lack of sufficient action, as well as the optimism of the can-do attitude in order to get us out of where we are. However, it does seem that both of these sentiments are actually increasing in uh, in vibrational level. Um, and particularly today on, uh, on Climate Action Day. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, how are you seeing those two sentiments? Are you seeing one being the primary one? Are you seeing more outrage on the streets? Are you seeing more optimism? Do you still find them in a balance? Do you see one is taking over? Where? Well, how would you weigh them against each other? Well, um, I think what's happening on the streets uh, is wonderful. And, um, and I remember when, as a young man, um, uh, um, marching against the Vietnamese war and in the end the Vietnamese war was stopped and, and I think you know those millions of young people all over the world that came out against it um, helped contribute to that um, and so um, having millions of young people coming out about climate change is fantastic um, and uh, and now it's up to governments and business to uh, to deliver um, now, 10 years ago, um, when we came up with the Virgin Earth Challenge, um, you know, there was a very few businesses that were, were that interested in participating. Mm. Um, today, I'm, I, I, I mean, tomorrow, I've got a, an initiative that I'm um, tr- trying to launch called the Climate Change Dividend. And, um, and we've got standing room only um, from really good, important business people globally. Um, and so I think I, I think the world is moving forward positively. Um, I think there are many countries that are doing everything they can to address the problem. Obviously, with one notable exception at, at, from the top. Um, uh, but I but you know I really feel now that you know using using our entrepreneurial skills and our business skills um, to persuade governments to go a certain direction that you know that will get on top of this problem. Um, we will get on top of this problem. How, how is this different from the moment you thought of founding, for example, the B team? 
you know, we've, we have founded a number of organizations to try to help people like yourself um, uh, uh, tackle climate change. So um, the B team, you know, as you know, we turned up in force in Paris. Um, you know, we went and saw... For which we are so grateful still <laughs> well, today. We're, we're, we're all grateful for what you achieved <laughs> there. But, and, you know, it's, and went into meetings with the Chinese Minister of Environment, the Indian Minister of Environment, and, the, and just as importantly, the minister uh, uh, who's in charge of industry and said, look, you know, this makes business sense. Um, you know, you're, you're importing tons of your fuel from overseas. It's, you're sending all this money out to other countries. Um, you know, please support this. And, um, and I think with, you know, pressure from the B team, the Elders, which is another organization that we're involved in. Right. Um, they, were, they were there in force as well. Mary mm. Robinson, Kofi Annan. Um, and, um, so I think, uh, you know, f finally we do have, you know, big group groups of very influential business people and ex-presidents and politicians who together, I think can, um, really help, um, push some of these laws through that are needed, um, mm. in order to sort the problem out. Are, are those strategic alliances still in place? Uh, very much so. I mean, like tomorrow we've got, uh, you know, the, the person who runs the elders, the person who runs the B team, uh, the person who runs Oceans Unite, the person who runs the Oceanic Elders, um, the person who runs the Carbon War Room, um, the Rocky Mountain Institute. Anyway, we're all, we're, we're all, we're all coming together to meet um, and to make sure that, you know, they, the, the, the leaders of these organizations, not, not necessarily the front people, can actually work together to make sure we get change mm. and i mean just to, to dig in further to where christiana started with that you know i mean your your career and your businesses and your brands have been kind of epitomized by this sense of optimism and can do which is kind of what you're known for and i remember you know prior to paris when we was we were working so hard to get the agreement and then we were all in davos and then all of a sudden there was this great announcement that you guys had put together around 2050 that really changed the narrative around that and i'm just juxtaposing that to to today where um you know the outrage is certainly justified on the streets and that momentum i think can be used in positive ways but people are also really afraid you know i think that there's a lot of anxiety amongst younger people people are really nervous about the future of course in a justified way and i'm just wondering as someone who's sort of made their career out of seeing what can be done in a positive way does that worry you do you get concerned about that what does that do to us or can that be a fuel to take us in a different direction I think it's a fuel to take us in a different direction. Um, uh, if I may, I'll just touch on uh, the climate, climate uh, change dividend idea that we're, mm, we're talking great. about this week. Um, carbon tax is one way of dealing with the problem. Mm. Um, and it's definitely been the way that, you know, most people think should be, it should be the way. Um, the problem with the carbon tax is where it's been introduced um, it's failed objectively. Um, uh, so not objectively, it's failed abysmally or whatever. Uh, so, you know, um, so the government of Australia introduced it. Um, they literally fell as a result. Um, and the new government that got elected then abolished it. Um, the France tried to push um, the price of fuel up. Uh, they had bonfires in the street, people rioting, um, shops being smashed. Um, and the, the complete reverse of what's happening with all the school kids on the streets today. Yeah. So um, our idea is um, an idea that I think is maybe a win for business, a win for 
um, the public and therefore a, a win, and ultimately a win, a win for climate. Um, and that is, um, instead of a carbon tax, you have a clean energy dividend. Now, each company would, would have its footprint and, and they would work out, um, the auditors work out at the end of the year how, mu how much they're, they're doing in, in destroying the planet. Um, and they would then have to spend um, that money in, and, in, and invest it in clean energy. So let, let me just roughly say 5% of the turnover of Virgin would then have to go straight into clean energy initiatives. Now, there would be an independent body that would decide, you know, that 500,000 or the million, million or whatever it is, initiatives around the world that, that passed, uh, passed the test. Um, so what would happen is very quickly with, you know, billions, maybe trillions of money going into invested in clean energy, um, the price of clean energy would start dropping dramatically. Mm. It would not push the price of dirty energy up because they'll have to compete. Um, so the public are happy. Um, the companies will be happy because they've got a chance of getting their money back. It's not just tax going into an amorphous tax chest of a government that, that you know, spends it on anything. Um, it's going into specifically invested in clean energy projects. Um, and, I, and I think if we want to rapidly, um, uh, you know, rapidly sort out climate change, we, have, we need, and Bill Gates actually the day before yesterday said exactly this, we need you know, we need just billions and billions of pounds and dollars and uh, yen and heaven knows what uh, to be spent on clean energy initiatives. And the exciting thing is that once we have spent that money, um, there will be, I mean, the, the average energy price, instead of it being $80 a barrel, the, the average energy price forever would be something like 30 or even $20 a barrel, you know, the equivalent. Um, so that's going to be a massive boost for the economy. Um, the energy that we'll be using will be clean. Um, and I think everybody should be happy. <laughs> anyway, that's, that, that, that's it simplistically. And, and, you know, as an entrepreneur, I just sort of sat down and thought, there must be an entrepreneurial way that works for everybody. And, you know, and this way, companies are not hurt, public are not hurt, the climate benefits, uh, the, 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 pub, the public benefit from low fuel prices and so on. Hmm. That's interesting. And would that be, um, and I should just comment to our listeners, you guys probably can't hear this, but there is enormous numbers of sirens outside. No doubt a head of state is going past as we speak. Um, and would that be, okay, so I think I understand that would be implemented at an international level or at a national level? To I, try think to that, I think that whichever countries implement it first, and, yeah. and obviously I'm going to try to get Christiane to help, help me push it through one or two countries. Mm. Um, uh, they will. The, the first countries to to, to to start it will get the best invest, investments globally. So their companies will actually uh, do the best. And and you know, obviously, after you've got sixty or seventy countries doing it, you know, most of the money for clean investments will have been will have been raised. Um, and obviously, uh, once you get to the sixty or seventieth country, then they're going to their companies are going to be struggling to find the best investments. But there still right. will be investments they could do in Memphis Meats, which is a wonderful company that is growing meat rather than having live animals, and that will help save the rainforest. Uh, they could invest in, yeah, I mean, reforestation. They could, you know, there's, there's so many different areas that they could reinvest in. So, um, but, I mean, obviously, ideally, if you can get every country on board, that would be great. But, but if, we could start, if we could start with a few, that, yeah. that would be great. 
And um, do you already have some uptake of some companies that want to do this? Um, so, uh, we, 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 well, so if you take the airline industry, the airline industry is do doing something a little similar. Um, there's something called Corsia. So um, basically we are, um, in, in from about a year's time, handing over uh, a, 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 an ever-increasing chunk of our cash to Corsia. Um, and Corsia will spend it on offsets. Um, so they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll be planting trees and they'll be doing other things. The only difference there is that the airlines won't actually get any money back. So, it, you know, it's, it, it, it's a voluntary thing that about, um, how many, 60 countries have, have, have agreed to do, including the British government, the American government and so on. Um, and, you know, it will, it will be, it will be a brave you know, a brave thing for the airline industry to have done. Um, and it will make a big difference. Um, but the, the reason I quite like the other, this other idea, and, and we can't replace Corsia, I mean, that's, that's, that's their, you know, it's set mm. in grain. But for other companies, to, for them to have a chance of actually getting their investment back by investing in clean mm -hmm. energy, I think would make it that much more attractive and it wouldn't drive, drive prices up. Do you mind talking about the airline industry for a minute? Because I think it's just so yeah. interesting, you know, with Greta around and everything and the, the concept of flight shame that's come out of Sweden and other things. I mean, you know, you've proved over many years that you are fundamentally committed to social and environmental issues, but you also own and run an airline. So how do you fit those together and what solutions do you think exist for that? Well, I think anybody who uh, is polluting in any way needs to think about how they can um, balance their books. Um, you know, I mean, most, most people who come to the climate change conference have flown in on Virgin Atlantic or British Airways or other, other, other airlines. So, um, so we, we, we've all got that, you know, and, um, uh, we've all got to do something about our carbon footprint. Um, I mean, we've, you know, we're at Virgin, we've been working at lots of different ideas. So, you know, we, we about 30 years ago, we flew a plane around the world, um, nonstop, all carbon composite plane in order to try to persuade Boeing and Airbus that they, that they could build um, their aeroplanes with a lot of carbon composite material. And as a result, I mean, we just got the A350 from Airbus. Um, it is 60, 70% carbon, um, carbon hmm. material, not heavy metals. Um, and I think within two years, we'll be, you know, we will have reduced our carbon output by about 30% just because of having a very young fleet of planes that are, that are, that are built of carbon. Um, we've been working with a company called Lanzatech and we've been working with them for a long time. Um, but they came up with this brilliant idea some years ago to, um, just take the waste product that goes up the chimneys of steel plants and aluminium plants. Um, otherwise it would have been, it would be up in the air, uh, doing its damage, uh, capturing it before it goes up the chimneys and then putting it through a process. It comes out as ethanol, ethanol and then jet aviation fuel, um, and working Virgin Atlantic, working with Lanzatech. Uh, we've got permission now from the authorities to have 50% of that fuel on our planes. And I think, you know, the, the quite quickly we'll be able to get to a hundred percent. The catch is always this, I'm afraid in climate change, there's often a catch, is that um, it's going to take a while for Lanzatech to get enough steel plants, aluminium plants up and running. And that's maybe where the climate change initiative comes in. You know, they could just go and take some of that money and, and um, invest it in, you know, steel plants, aluminium plants. We'd very quickly get a lot of uh, fuel that would um, 
be kind to the environment. Hmm. That's interesting that you point that as a path forward because seen from a distance, um, one would think that the path forward is electrification for short flights. would love to know what you think about that. Um, and then biofuels for longer flights. But you seem to be going in a completely different direction. Well, how, how do you think about those other directions? So electric, we, we either need... Um, uh, battery-driven shorter flights, and and that is rapidly coming. How or, how how rapidly? What do you think? Um, I think the sort of first planes that will be big enough to you know transport a reasonable amount of people could be three or four three or four years time. Mm. Um, For like inland European flights, kind of thing. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, Virgin Hyperloop. <laughs> might as well plug plug one of our companies. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, would be able to replace all short haul if if governments embraced it. Um, people would be able to travel at you know six seven hundred miles an hour um, in a levitating uh, in in a um, pod. Um, and the first one of those is is going to be built between Mumbai and Pune in India, a hundred and eighty miles stretch of horrendous road and five and a half hour journey. Um, that would be cut down to about half, uh, half. You know, twenty minutes, half an hour. I mean, it really, wow. really depends. Wow. We, 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 st- we yeah. still, um, yeah, we still, uh, you know, we, we've 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 got a test uh, rig in Las Vegas, and we've taken it up to three hundred miles now. So we need a much. We, 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 the first thing we're going to do in India is build a twenty mile t- uh, test on on the route. Mm. Um, so we we then need to work out, you know, can. He, you know, we could go up to a thousand miles now, but I mean, you know, what 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 are humans? Body, what, what can humans you know, take? Take so, um, but our best guess is somewhere between sort of five hundred and six hundred miles an hour. Um, if it was an absolute straight line, a um, thousand would be possible. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, so those are two. And things. how is that fueled? Uh, that can be. Um, we we just have solar all the, all the way along the top of the um, the top of the tunnel. Jeez. So I mean, it'll be it'll be uh, completely clean. Amazing. Uh, no, I mean, it, 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 and what's it, the timing for something like that, Richard? Um, so we're going to start building in about eighteen months, two years, and I'm afraid uh, Virgin Hyperloop, on a you know, to make a real difference on a global basis, is it, you know, we, we may be it may be too late in a sense to make the real big difference, but mm. um, but um, you know, so fifteen years we might have quite a number of Virgin Hyperloops running. I'm lucky enough to live on an island and um, and I just love going into a little room we have there and I can see, um, right, today we've, um, we, we're powering the island um, with 45% wind. Um, uh, from solar, we're powering the island um, by 40% um, solar and by batteries, we're finishing off um, you know, powering the island um, and it's just a lovely feeling. And now mm. we're now we're looking at um, the one thing that we haven't sorted yet is the battery-powered boats. And uh, in Scandinavia, it looks like there's going to be a breakthrough on battery-powered boats as well. Um, and um, so, um, so I think you know what. And then we've got we set up something called the Caribbean Climate Change Initiative, where we we'll bring Caribbean leaders to see you know see how it works on NECA, and basically it can be replicated. Mm. You know, any anywhere in the Caribbean. Do you have an equally disruptive vision for transatlantic or transpacific flights? So transatlantic, I think it's it's um, lighter planes. It's um, obviously every year 
battery technology in, is improved by about 4%. Uh, if somebody could have a real breakthrough on battery technology, then there's no reason why you couldn't actually you know i mean have a plane with a lot of batteries and i mean it, it may it may need fuel to take off and land um but when it's gliding um in in the air it could it could well be done by batteries um that the lands attack option you know is something that virgin atlantic would is really hoping that we mm. can get enough fuel from that um lighter planes which we talked about um and then i think the airline industry just needs to offset you know, because I mean, there are going to be one or two industries, possibly, uh, that by 2050 haven't got 100% of their um, carbon sorted. Um, uh, I think actually the airline industry most likely will, uh, you know, will be able to get 100%. But um, but there will be one or two that won't, and therefore you need them to you you use a percentage of their profits um, to carbon to offset carbon. And planting trees is not a bad thing anyway. Planting trees is uh, is is a delightful thing, mm. and and um, I was I was just asking earlier today: Is there enough land in the world to plant there enough is. trees? There is. Yes, there this was a fantastic report that came out just two months ago. Oh, yeah, I, think. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. So there is plenty of room. Zero point nine, correct? Zero point nine billion acres um, that can be planted enough with for trees, a trillion trees. I understand enough for a trillion trees without impacting the land that we need for food or the land that we live need to live on. So, yeah. plenty of room. The um, well, uh, I'm sure that the carbon offsets that um, the airline industry are doing will go. A lot of it will go into trees, mm. which is great. Yeah, it's great. Um, thank mm. you very much, Richard. Really appreciate uh, your taking the time. I'm, I think I'm seeing you at some something. Um, yes, I'm sure we will run into anyway. each other a couple <laughs> of times. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. So it just remains for me to say that Outrage and Optimism is a production of Global Optimism and is produced by Clay Carnell. The team includes... Pete Clutton-Brock, Chloe Revel, Natasha Rivikarnak, Marina Mansilla, Callum Green, and Zoe Cholakantich. I'd also like to thank Nigel Topping and Michael Northrop. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and please do hit subscribe and leave us a review. We also love the feedback, podcast at globaloptimism.com. So many of you have been writing in, and we do try to respond to every email. Thanks for that kind of feedback. We really appreciate it. Please keep them coming. We'll see you next week.